So anyway, the study tonight is really going to kind of pick up on where Claire left off last week on her study on a better high priest comparing Christ to Melchizedek, according to that order. But, you know, you kind of have to ask, at least I did when I was looking at this, whenever you say better to me, you know, my question is better than what, you know? Why is the new covenant better than the old covenant? And then as I was just going through this, you know, it just, the answer was just so clear. It's Jesus. Jesus. That says it all because he did it all. So we're going to look at three different areas of this covenant and why it's better. We have a better covenant because first, Jesus is our divine guarantee, and that goes back to chapter 7, verse 22. Second, we have a better covenant because Jesus is our divine mediator, verses um, uh, chapter 7, 23 through chapter 8, verse 6. And then third, Jesus is our divine fulfillment, and that goes through verses um, chapter 8, verse 6 through Verse 13. But just to recap the audience for this epistle, because I think it's really important that we really reset the context here. The Hebrews was written to warn, correct, comfort, and encourage persecuted Jewish Christians believed to be living in Rome at the time. And if you might remember a little bit of the turbulence during that period of time right after uh, Jesus' passing, those early Christians were facing tremendous hostility and persecution. So what they were doing, what this, this, this letter is addressing, is that they were retreating to what they felt was the safety of the traditions of the old covenant. They were afraid, and rightly so. Unfortunately, fear causes us to revert to familiar feelings and old behavior, even if they no longer edify or give us true peace. As Claire shared with us last week, these Hebrews were no different than us when faced with a trial. Uh, we respond to our hardship, usually first line of defense is our flesh, unfortunately. And instead of trusting God, we tend to panic and plan rather than pray and obey. This is a very successful uh, tactic that Satan uses against us. It gets our eyes off of Jesus. We see the way things used to be through very, very rose-colored glasses when we get fearful. Uh, I love the, the analogy that uh, Pastor X made about the Israelites that were in the wilderness after uh, crossing the Red Sea to the Promised Land. They wanted to return back to Egypt very shortly after, you know, they, they got, got away. They remembered the leeks and the onions. Remember they kept telling Moses, you brought us out here to starve, you know, take us back for the leeks and the onions. But as Pastor X says, but they forgot the whip and the oppression of the old ways. These early Hebrew Christians were also forgetting the intentionally temporary and at that point in time, obsolete spiritual shelter of the old covenant. The priests couldn't offer any security or guarantee under the old covenant. As mediators between the people and God, they would continue to die and be replaced and could never rest from giving sacrifices for their sin and the sin of the people. They were totally incapable of fulfilling any promises in the old covenant. And besides, God had declared the old covenant invalid and no longer in effect. And we'll see more of that a little bit later. So the comfort that these Hebrew Christians sought in the old covenant 
was empty and more hopeless than the situation they were trying to escape. A new, better covenant had been established, and we'll see later why it was so much better. But before we get into that why, let's first understand what a covenant is within the context of this this particular text. Our Bibles show that we have an Old Testament and a New Testament, right? Look in your Bibles, most of you that, that have the combined testaments, and it says old and new. But testament is not the best translation from the Latin Vulgate. They really should say old covenant and new covenant. That would be much more accurate. The Septuagint um, is a translation from the Hebrew. The word covenant or guarantee means to cut or to divide. And that's referring to the sacrificial custom associated with covenant making. And and the parties, as you might recall from some of the Old Testament passages, they would split the sacrifice in half, and then they would walk between it to confirm the covenant. But God doesn't need anyone else to confirm his covenant with men. For instance, in the Abrahamic covenant that you can refer back to in Genesis uh, chapter 15, God alone passed between the sacrifices while Abraham was in a deep sleep. The Lord stated his commitment to multiply Abraham's descendants and make him a great nation that would bless all nations. The Lord alone fulfilled his word to Abraham. God didn't need Abraham's participation or agreement to make the covenant since obviously he was in a dead sleep. Abraham, even upon waking up, questions God and how that could happen in his old childless state. So you could see he wasn't even in a position to exercise his part of the covenant. In Hebrews 6.13, we're reminded that the Lord confirmed the covenant with Abraham himself because he could swear by no one greater, so he swore by himself. So in this instance, Abraham was not really an active party. The old covenant was a combination of the moral code found in the law of Moses, the very complex tabernacle elements that God had given to Moses and passed down, the ceremonial regulations and rituals, the offerings, the sacrifices, the feasts, the religious observances. And and along with that was also the office and the requirement and the functions of the Levitical priesthood. This body encompassed the old covenant. All of these were intended to magnify man's sin before a holy God and to govern his approach to his divine presence. Often you'll find that as I go through this study, I'm going to use divine a lot. I'm using it because it describes why Jesus is a better covenant. It's because his deity is the key that unlocks the door to anything better we have spiritually in our lives. His deity, his divineness, is the source of our better everything. So now that we kind of reset a couple of things here, we're going to look at the better covenant that we have in Jesus by first looking at why we have this better covenant. And it's because Jesus is our divine guarantee. And I'm going back to Hebrews um, 7, chapter um, 7, verse 22. It says, by so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. And I kind of prefer the New Living Translation. It it gives this reading for verse 22. It says, because of this oath, Jesus is the one who guarantees this better covenant with God. 
Verse 22 is the first time within the book of Hebrews that the word covenant appears. And it's what I call the eternity guarantee clause. Because in this is where we find the real strength of the better covenant that we have in Christ Jesus. Because no one but God himself can offer a forever guarantee. And I think if I jog your memory a little bit, I'm going to do a little time lapse here. See if you remember any of these companies. Enron. Tower Records. Circuit City. Kodak. Compact Computer. Blockbuster Video. And Radio Shack. If you remember any of these companies, you may remember that they all went bankrupt. And what do you think happened to the guarantees that they offered for their products and services? For the most part, they just disappeared right along with the companies. They're gone. Man-made covenants are limited and destined to be broken. But in our better covenant, Jesus is our divine guarantee. The Greek word for surety given here in this passage describes someone who gave security, who co-signed a loan to guarantee payment, or who put up bail for a prisoner. And think about it. What happens when you co-sign a loan for someone and they default on the loan? Or you put up bail for somebody and they skip town? You're responsible for their debt, right? That doesn't seem right. That doesn't seem fair. Well, because we sin every single day, we default on the covenant that we have with Jesus. But his divine guarantee of a better covenant wipes out our debt forever and gives us salvation and eternity with God. Matthew twenty twenty eight reminds us that Jesus gave his life a ransom for many. That means that his sacrifice paid our bail and kept us out of hell. That's essentially what he did. He is that surety, that guarantee, that bail maker, that ransom. Chuck Smith said, the new covenant depends on what Jesus has done, not on what we have done. It is based on his love and faithfulness and not on our works. And we should be very grateful for that, ladies, because our works are not good. We may fail, but Jesus never goes back on his word, the word of his covenant. God says in Matthew twenty-four thirty-five, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. The Lord exalts his word above his name, we're told in Psalm 138, 2. Jesus is the living word of God who became flesh and dwelt among us and we beheld his glory. God has got his guarantee covered seven ways from Sunday in the deity and person and the living word of Jesus Christ. So we can be sure that the promises that he's made never go bankrupt. They never expire. They are eternal. They are forever. We have that guarantee. His deity is the collateral for every provision given us in the new covenant. It's a God-guaranteed eternal warranty on parts and service. And I am so waiting for this guarantee on my parts to come up because I want to be glorified in heaven and have a lot of this breakdown go away. 
As Kathy shared with us, Jesus is the anchor toward a better covenant, providing a stable, unfailing, steadfast, unbreakable, and firmly fixed guarantee of hope for our souls. With Jesus as the co-signer, collateral, and guarantor of the promises of God, we can walk in incredible confidence that he will never renege on fulfilling every clause in his better covenant with us. Jesus is our divine covenant, a divine guarantee of a better covenant because of his deity and his ability to keep his word perfectly and completely for eternity. So that effect on us, ladies, should be that We should never have any fear for our future. He has secured our eternal inheritance. And because God's word is unbreakable, we can have the confidence that we can live the holy life that is covered by his covenants. We can depend on Jesus to walk us through and to sustain us. Second, when we look at a better covenant, we have it because Jesus is our divine mediator, and that's covered in chapter 7, verses 23, through chapter 8, verse 6. Um, The first two verses here from 23 and 24 says, Also, there were many priests, because they were prevented by death from continuing. But he, because he continues forever, has an unchangeable priesthood. Therefore, he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. So building on Jesus as our divine guarantee, we see him next in his role as our mediator of a better covenant. He is holy, immortal, and unchanging, so he can completely save those who believe in God through Christ, since he forever intercedes on their behalf. No other priest could claim to ensure God's covenant with man. Levitical priests had to sacrifice for their own sins before mediating for the people. They were just like the people that they served, sinners in need of salvation. And just like those bankrupt corporations that we looked at a few minutes ago, they couldn't fulfill what was promised because their ministry was limited. Priests stopped serving when they died. And there had been priests for generations from about 1446 B.C. before Christ, which is when the Old Covenant was implemented, right up to and after Jesus, carrying out the requirements of the Old Covenant the whole time, generation after generation after generation. Some priests were good, some were bad. For example, Eli and his sons Hophni and Phinehas in 1 Samuel, they were bad to the bone. Those two boys were awful. And God judged them, and he removed them with extreme prejudice, as you will often find in military terms. Eli died and was replaced by Samuel, who was good, who was replaced by Nathan, who was also good. But then a little bit later on down the line, when we get to Jesus' time, we have Caiaphas, He was a bad priest. He illegally tried and murdered Jesus. The people never knew what kind of priest would be in office. Kind of reminds you of politicians, doesn't it? Or like uh, Forrest Gump says, it's like a box of chocolates. You never know what you have until you bite into it. But in Christ, we have a better covenant because Jesus is our divine mediator who continues forever and has an unchangeable priesthood. 
Unchangeable here in verse 24 means non-transferable. His priesthood is permanent. No one will succeed him in his office. Jesus will never retire. He will never die. As our divine high priest and mediator, Jesus ensures that our persistent, perpetual need for intercession for our sins will always find a perfect, perpetual, divine mediator in Christ Jesus. We can thank God that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Everything changes in our world all the time. Fashion changes, music changes. You can't keep up with technology. It changes so fast. Just just name something, and it's here today, gone tomorrow, updated, upgraded, rebooted, whatever you want to say. But our divine mediator, Christ Jesus, never changes. So we can count on him to be with us regardless of what changes in our lives because our lives, you know, flux and flow as well. We, we, we change in our ways, our feelings, our bodies change. Things change all the time, but Jesus is our constant. So we can count on him that regardless of all the changes that we might experience, that he will literally be our biggest fan for all of eternity. He will never leave us or forsake us. Trudy shared that as God, Jesus represents us before God and that the Lord Jesus Christ is our eternally good high priest and divine mediator. He's not going to go bad on us, ladies. He's not going to spoil. He's not going to turn on us. He will always be the same. We have a good God who will mediate on our behalf forever. How much more blessed can we be to have God always on our side and advocating on our behalf. There is no better mediator than Jesus Christ. And verse 25 says that Jesus is also our savior mediator because he is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. And here to save to the uttermost means that Christ is able to save to the fullest, most all-inclusive sense. He can save all humanity from all that humanity needs saving from. Amen. Because we never run out of badness, do we? We can always come up with some new and innovative evil. We're so good at it. But he can save to the uttermost. Acts 4.12 says, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other, other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Salvation is Jesus' exclusive ministry, as 1 Timothy 2.5 says. He says that there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And the salvation that we're saved into, because remember, he saves to the uttermost, not from, but to the uttermost. It is unimaginable. First Corinthians 2.9 says, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's to the uttermost, ladies. This adds to our trust and faith in the Lord for our future and for our salvation. He is mighty and perfectly and completely able to save to the uttermost. The old covenant, as you know, was never really meant to save. It just revealed our need for a savior. And only the blood of Christ took away the sin of the world, not the animal sacrifices that only covered it. So why would anybody want to go back to that? 
Jesus is our divine mediator of a better covenant because as God, he is immune from the sin that leads to death because wherever there's death, there's sin. Unlike the old covenant priests who obviously died off, there was still sin present. Jesus does not have that infirmity. He is perfect, immortal, eternal, and his priesthood never changes and it never transfers to anyone else. We see more old versus new priesthood comparisons coming up in verses 26 through 28. And in verse 26, we see Jesus was the only fitting or appropriate high priest qualified to administer the new better covenant. Because what God now offered far exceeded the temporal and imperfect provisions and priests of the old covenant. He is exactly what sinners like us needed, a holy harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners, and higher than the heavens, high priest. That kind of says it all. And I hope as you look at how high and lifted up Jesus is in this better covenant, that he's equally as high and lifted up in your lives. You know, many times we want to bring God down to our level and compare our humanity to his holiness, but there is no comparison. And to be quite honest with you, I don't really want a God who looks just like me because I am a hot mess most of the time. And I need someone to take my chaos and take my, my madness and bring that into order to capture it, to give me peace and to give me safety and security. You know, these parents that kind of let their kids just, you know, run wild and, you know, you can't kind of control them kind of things. And I'm thinking, why have they neglected to give these children boundaries? Children feel so secure and safe when you give them boundaries because you know what that tells them? They're not in charge because children don't have a clue what to do. That's who we are, ladies. We need the security and boundaries through Christ through his, his word, through his testament. The better covenant demanded a better minister, not only to serve as divine mediator, but also as a divine sacrifice to satisfy God's holy requirements. Who does not need daily as those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins and then for the people's? For this he did once for all when he offered up himself. The old covenant high priests never rested. Every day they labored to offer dual sacrifices for sin, first their, theirs and then the people. But Jesus, who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 1.3. Jesus sacrificed once for all for all of our sins, past, present, and future. Jesus had no sin. So he rested and is seated at the right hand of God, declaring on the cross that it is finished. Jesus, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus came to pay a debt he didn't owe because we owed a debt we couldn't pay. Jesus, who had none of the weaknesses of the mortal men appointed under the law, was the perfect high priest and perfect sacrifice, our divine mediator for a better covenant. 
And because of his sinless, selfless sacrifice, we can come boldly before the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is there. He's waiting for us, ladies. I hope you're exercising that liberty and that freedom that has been given to us through this better covenant to go before his throne, to seek him out, Father, because only through Jesus, our divine mediator, can we truly experience that better covenant that God intended for us. Third, we can rejoice in a better covenant because Jesus is our divine fulfillment that we find in verses 1 through 13 in chapter 8. And I'm so glad that the writer of Hebrews leaves nothing to chance by just putting it out there. This key theme is crystallized. He makes it very, very clear. Now, this is the main point of the things we are saying. These Christians, these fearful Christians who had become immature, who had uh, been considering drifting away, They needed very pointed teaching and instruction and encouragement here. He says, we have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not a man. The main principle, the main thing that he's saying here is that their high priest was Jesus now, and he was exalted above all. He was in the seat of heavenly glory, authority, and power. And he exceeds any earthly priesthood or man-made religious structure. He was the king priest according to the order of Melchizedek. We'll never get away from Melchizedek, ladies. He's going to follow us through the end of this book. Jesus is the minister of the only true sanctuary. I love how Ray Steadman puts it. He called heaven the control room of the universe. That's where Jesus sits. That's where his domain and authority resides, in heaven. Elevating, again, his ministry over and above that old covenant. Also, under the Old Covenant, Jews put a lot of emphasis on the structures that were built by man. You you often heard references to Solomon's temple or to Herod's temple. And and, and indeed, these were tremendously beautiful edifices that were created and great accomplishments in and of themselves. But think about it. They were both destroyed. They both fell. No remnants of them really remain of the uh, initial visages. Like the tabernacle, they were only meant to be a hint of the heavenly. And throughout human history, from the Tower of Babel to this very day, man has tried to exalt himself through his own efforts of brick and mortar immortality. We have great cathedrals and churches that testify to man's work. But in Christ, we have a high priest who ministers from a heavenly position and authority in fulfillment of a better covenant that far exceeds any man-made edifice, any man-made church, cathedral, temple, tabernacle. It, it doesn't compare to what's in heaven and where he now rules and reigns. And then here in verses 3 through 5, the writer reminds us again of the works of the earthly high priest as just being a mere foreshadow of the one who came as the divine fulfillment of all that was promised. It says, for every high priest is appointed to offer both gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also having something to also have something to offer. 
For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law, who serve the copy and shadow of the heavenly things, as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. Human priests, high priests, were ordained to give gifts and sacrifices to God. And Jesus was no exception. You know, and, and honestly, ladies, we're no exception either. You know, Romans 12.1 says that our bodies should be offered as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God. That's what Jesus did. He became a living sacrifice on our behalf. That was part of what he gave and he offered. However, his sacrifice to atone for our sins was motivated by love and not by duty. And it was a sweet aroma to the, to the Lord. Ephesians 5.2 tells us. So he stepped out of the tradition, just like Melchizedek, to fulfill his heavenly ministry. Everything in the Old Testament prophesies about Jesus. You know, we often hear that there's a red thread running all the way from the Old Testament through the New. The word shadow here in verse 5 means an imperfect representation of something, a shadowy outline that's inferior. And you have to have something solid in order to cast a shadow. As you know, it just doesn't you know, come out of nowhere. It only gives a lifeless outline of the real thing. The human priests were only going through the motions of what was to come in an anticipation of our divine fulfillment in Christ. They were limited to an earthly replica of what would become a true divine fulfillment in heaven. Verse 6 and 7 says, but now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he is also mediator of a better covenant, which was established on better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. And I have a, a, a quick slide I just want to show you guys. I'm not going to go through it line by line, uh, but it just gives you an example of the differences between the old and the new covenant. You know, why one was by the righteousness of law and the other one is by the righteousness of Christ. It was very different. Christ, as you can see, was a complete fulfillment of all of those things that under the law were just shadows, just replicas. And if you guys are interested in copies of this, Lucy will have hard copies of these uh, after the, the study tonight, and you're more than welcome to take this away because it's a good, good reminder of what we have in Christ and why we have a better covenant. But Jesus' ministry has far exceeded the earthly one because he mediates a better covenant in heaven. It's based on better promises from God and based on an old covenant that has failed. And finally, in verses 8 through 13, we see exactly what Jesus fulfilled that wiped out the need for the old covenant, replacing it with a better one. It says, because finding fault with them, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. Well, I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Pay attention. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they did not continue in my covenant, and I disregarded them, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I would make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. 
None of them shall teach his neighbor and none his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me, from the least of them to the greatest of them. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. And that, he says, a new covenant he has made, the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. God, who established the first covenant, saw that Israel had fallen short and was to blame. So he promised he would make a new covenant with them for the future. The writer refreshes their memory regarding the promises that God made to them for a new covenant that were listed. This is a quote from Jeremiah 31, verses 31 through 37. And this is even repeated again in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 16 through 17. And it uses the old covenant to point to the new. These people knew their Old Testament. They knew the law. Remember, the New Testament was not written yet. There were no parchments that these people could refer to for the gospel of John and Matthew and and so forth. They didn't exist yet. The only thing they had on paper was the old covenant, the old law. So now this writer is reminding them, your very law is what has been rescinded here, according to the word that you know. A new covenant was necessitated because Israel didn't keep their part of the old covenant, the if you part of that covenant that that God made with them. God didn't fail them. They failed God. So the Lord initiated a better covenant, superior in every aspect to the old, with no possibility of failure because the commitment all belongs to God. He replaced the if you in Exodus 19.5 with I will. You go back and you read this passage. It says, I will make a new covenant. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. I will forgive their iniquity and their sin and will remember no more. He put his laws in their hearts of flesh and his spirit within them, as we see in Ezekiel thirty-six twenty-six, which he says, he will be their only and personal God. They will belong to him and go from being disregarded and condemned to redeemed and reconciled in the righteousness of Christ as a chosen people of God. And I I wanted you to pay attention because he made the new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, but he expanded it to Jews and Gentiles under the better covenant with the coming of Christ Jesus. By his grace alone, we are included. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, You are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people who have obtained mercy. So by mercy and grace, we are blessed through this new covenant. It won't be necessary for God's chosen people to be regulated by religion and ritual in order to know him. We will experience inner spiritual transformation to know the Lord from the inside out versus the outside in because His spirit lives within us. This is how we are taught. This is how we are counseled. This is how we are convicted. It's through his living spirit within us. The new covenant abolishes the old. It didn't just go away. It's gone. No longer exists. No longer a need for the old ceremonial rituals and laws. So for these Hebrew Christians, there was really nothing to retreat back to. There was no place to go. 
The old covenant was gone as far as God existed. So those who in their fear and frustration, who still desire to serve God in the old ways, that way had been taken away. And this is what the writer is trying to help them understand. It had been abandoned by God as a means to have a relationship with him and replaced with something not just better, but much better. All because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. All because of Jesus. We have a better covenant. Jesus is the divine guarantee. Our future is secure to walk in the newness of Christ in this new covenant. Jesus is the divine mediator. He lives forever to make intercession for us, unchanging, throwing open the gates of heaven for us to enter. The veil has been taken away from the old covenant. In the new, there is nothing hindering our access to the Lord. Jesus is the divine fulfillment. He is proof of God's word of a better future for us, of his promises. So, ladies, as I'm standing here in my wonderful red, and tonight on the eve of Valentine's Day, it's a day designated for us to show love for each other. And and I just want you to consider for a minute this better covenant and that this is Jesus demonstrating his love for us. It's his proposal of marriage to us, ladies, because marriage is a covenant relationship between you and your husband. This letter, this New Testament, this better covenant is his proposal to us. We are the bride of Christ. Isn't it wonderful? Remember these words, which get plastered all over football games, but no less true. For God so loved the world, his love for us, that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. We don't go to jail. We get out of jail free because he bailed us out with his love. Jesus says, saves to the uttermost of his love for us, for I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor other created things shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Wouldn't you love to get a valentine like that? This is our love letter. If you're here tonight and you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you haven't accepted his guarantee, his mediation, and his fulfillment of his love for you through this better covenant. I just want to invite you ladies tonight, don't let another moment pass without receiving his better covenant for you. We all want to be seated together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. So let's bow our heads now to pray, and if you don't know Jesus, if you don't know the Jesus that you heard about tonight, as your personal, perfect, eternal, and loving Lord and Savior. Just close your eyes, ladies, and repeat this prayer after me. Jesus, I just come to you, Father. I just thank you and praise you, Lord, that you desire that intimate, beautiful, loving relationship with me. Father, in order to come before you, Lord, I just ask you right now to just forgive me of my sins, Father. 
cleanse my heart of all of the sin and dirt and shame, Lord, that I have just accumulated. And I just want to be rid of it. And I want you to take it all away. I accept your proposal. I accept your love. I accept your covenant, Father. Change me, transform me, and be my never-changing Lord and Savior. I ask you tonight in Jesus' name. Amen.